When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, a visit with Lord Grantham himself. Hugh Bonneville is with us this week star of Downton Abbey, A New Era. It's been over a decade since the much-beloved franchise first began, and the incredible cast is back in this new installment, including Maggie Smith, Elizabeth McGovern, Imelda Stoughton, Jim Carter, and so many more. In this new go-around, a film crew sets up to make a silent movie at Downton Abbey, with Mary overseeing it, and Robert and several family members head to the south of France to uncover news of an unexpected inheritance. Have you told them, Lady Grantham? She's told us nothing. Do sit down. I've come into possession of a villa in the south of France. What villa? Start at the beginning. Years ago, before you were born, I met a man. They spend a few days together, and he gives her a house. You never thought to turn it down? Do I look as if I'd turned down a villa in the south of France? A telephone call for you, my lord. Mr Barber is a producer and director. He wants to make a film at Downton. A moving picture at Downton. But the big star's famous ones. I think it's a horrible idea. Actresses plastered in makeup and actors just... There is something about him, like a wild animal ready to spring. Ready to spring on you, you mean? Action! Cut! Cut! Sorry. The modern world comes to Downton. Mr. Hugh Bonneville, thank you so much for joining me. Hello, Christina. Hi, how are you? So as someone who's worked in production a lot, I get nervous heartburn thinking about the wrangling, the production schedule planning of this enormous, fabulous cast and crew for yet another go around. What was it like to get everyone back together again? Well, it's a great tribute to our executive producers, you know, principally Gareth Neem and Liz Truebridge and, uh, and our writer creator Julian Fellows, because it is, as many people have said, like herding cats, you know, we weren't under contract to weren't obliged to do uh, either movie and um, and the fact that we all wanted to and I think uh, Gareth likened it to everyone standing around a swimming pool and uh, joining hands and just agreeing to jump at the same moment and um, uh, and that's what it took um, so great credit to them and we got there eventually um, and of course you know as I as I said you know we, if if none of us had got on in the first place we would never have uh, uh, come back for more. Why, you know, if you, if you can't bear people, why work with them again? So that's a great, you know, testament that from day one we've managed to uh, to stay friends and, um, and 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 work colleagues. And it's you know, knowing that there's an audience out there that is keen and expectant uh, really helps drive things forward. So I want to tread lightly here as to not spoil, but suffice to say, Lord Grantham is really put through the emotional ringer in this one as a son, <laughs> as a husband, as a house owner. Um, where do we find him now? 
Well, uh, yes, I was I was thrilled having uh, basically the highlight of the in the first movie was I got to move some chairs around, um, <laughs> and so uh, I was delighted to discover that uh, Julian had, had uh, Julian Fellows had, had created such a rich storyline for me in 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 this particular movie. Uh, we find him at the at the beginning of, of the movie in denial as usual um, about the state of affairs at uh, at uh, Downton Abbey and uh, that things are just going to plod on as they always have in, in a stately fashion, but until his daughter shows him the uh, hole in the roof and the, uh, the, you know, the rain dripping through the, into the buckets and that something has to be done. So maybe he should accept the offer uh, of a film company coming to make a movie at Downton Abbey. Uh, at the same time, there's also um, a, a sort of a, mi a mystery thread appears in the form of uh, a villa that has come into the possession of, uh, of my mother, Lady Violet. Uh, and uh, we've been invited to the south of France to meet the owners, uh, the current owners, uh, and to under, try and understand uh, why and in what circumstances it was left to uh, Violet in, in, the, in someone's will. Um, and so that's a, a fun departure. So those are the two hairs that are yeah. set running and, uh, and, 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 uh, and Robert's part in them. Knowing this character for over a decade now, how have you come to understand that he handles the most difficult emotional things? Well, like all good good British aristocrats, he 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 you know he buries them as deeply as possible and pretends they're not happening. Uh, he has more affection, you know, more emotion um, uh, comes out in, in relation to his animals, particularly his dogs, than it does to his own family. Um, and I think that's true of many <laughs> many uh, many aristocrats of that type. But um, you know he. Um, you know, he he goes on the he goes on the uh, on on the in this particular film he goes on as you say quite quite a big emotional journey. But the Robert that we we met in the in the first very first episode, uh, I don't think we as human beings change that much. Uh, we obviously we our experiences inform our our personalities and we and we we grow in that sense. But uh, I think we're still seeing the same sort of Robert that we did initially. Maggie Smith has a great line, I'm paraphrasing, because I don't remember, she says about marriage, um, British couples don't talk, but they trust each other. Would you agree? <laughs> I think, again, I mean, I think Julian Fellows, who understands this sort of strata of society very well, he seems to understand all the characters very well. But um, I think that sense of the, uh, of the British aristocratic marriage, where, you, um, where a lot is uns unspoken, I think the emotions that... Uh, Julian always said that he, he based Robert partly on his own father, um, who a man he greatly admired. And I think a man who was a man of, of who did display his, his emotions. And Robert does from time to time display his emotions. He has to in this particular iteration as well. Um, and I think the, the connection between him and Cora, even though they've been tested at times in, in, in our stories, uh, is extremely strong and it's made stronger in this in this storyline as well for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, their, their affection for each other is undeniable and it's tangible and uh, he, he does express his emotions, not just to the dog. <laughs> so um, Simon Curtis is behind the directorial chair this time around. So you and his real life wife, Elizabeth, have worked on three different projects together. Is there any tension there? Yeah, no, quite the opposite. It's um, a, it's led to a, a complete shorthand, and and b, I in fact played Simon in one of those projects. Um, we did a, a, a mini uh, sitcom, really, in which Elizabeth played herself and I played her her fictional husband, and uh, and Simon directed it and produced it. So uh, we've we've been friends for a very long time and have a, a wonderful rapport both on screen and and off. So um, yeah, that was easy peasy. And Simon, you know, has, has brought a whole new visual chemistry to the film you know he's really opened it up and um he 
in any movie, you you know the the, the spirit of the director is, is is felt on screen. He's a he's a character as a man of, of great warmth and and uh, ebullience, and he wants everyone to have a good time. And uh, he spends just as much time on making the daily quiz as he does his shot list. Um, so he wants uh, everyone to be entertained at all times, and and that gives a great energy on set for both the cast and the crew. So now when the Crawleys visit the south of France, how different, how more elaborate of a trip is it when young Hugh and the Bonnevilles slapped the canvas tent on your car and drove to France in the 60s, 70s, which I understand that you did. <laughs> oh, yes, quite a different thing. Yeah, we didn't have it. When, when we went uh, camping in our little old Volvo uh, down through France, we didn't have uh, an entourage of two or three other cars carrying the luggage. Yeah, it was just literally... Uh, three kids squished in the back and the tent on the roof so uh, yeah quite different to the crawlies but um, no less magical there is something you know i've always loved traveling in europe and um uh you know that spirit of adventure and finding new places and uh, so for the crawlies to go to uh, the south of france particularly at this era you know uh, with um when when it really wasn't fashionable to uh, or was only just becoming fashionable to visit the south of france because obviously being in the in the heat in the summer was you know, anathema to, to society, um, and uh, and Scott Fitzgerald and and you know his like, and then the film stars had started making it fashionable exactly. to go there, and so that's what Lady Edith wants to go and capture. Um, and so for us to, you know, us as a, as a the Crawley family to visit and get out of their, if you like, comfort zone was uh, was intriguing, and um, and of course you know just for us as actors it was just a joy to go you know to go to the south of France and and make a movie. I guess you've traveled to Scotland, but this is sort of the first time you've taken Downton that far, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and in fact, at one point, we were actually going to have to pretend that Scotland was France because we were because we were shooting during the pandemic. Oh, right. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to get to France um, uh, because of the restrictions, and so there was a Plan Z, Plan A, and Plan Z, and the poor schedulers and the producers how they you know they kept their kept their hair on because uh, <laughs> uh, they were going to have to stitch two or three villas that they'd found in Scotland that looked vaguely French uh, um, and uh, try and stitch it all together. But in fact, we were able to stick to plan A and um, we did have a quarantine when we got to France in, in three hotels, took over, we took over three hotels and had to quarantine there, um, which was no hardship, I have to say, when England was uh, suffering, you know, incredible wind and rain, we were actually uh, forced to sit by a swimming pool for a week before we could start filming. Uh, so it was, a, it was a tough gig, but someone had to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, it was the first time, in it, and and you know, obviously it, it really suits the you know the world of, of, of the big screen to be able to open up the canvas and uh, and, and go to this extraordinary vista of, of uh, Côte d'Azur. Um, you were mentioning uh, one of the storylines is this film crew that comes to Downton to make a film, um, which of course makes. Lord Grantham a bit uneasy, quite a different culture between the film folk and the Downton residents and staff. Um, I was just wondering when you guys ascended. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. 
That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. The first time on, on Highclere Castle, I know that you do a lot of studio work, but did it feel the same when you film folk came to this castle? Well, I think we know we now know how Lord and Lady Carnarvon, who obviously live at Highclere Castle, how they feel about um, about these ghastly actors traipsing all over their you know, their beautiful furniture and um, uh, what was, what's the line? Something like actresses, you know, plastered in makeup and actors just plastered. Um, so <laughs> the the in joke about the industry uh, having to save a country house uh, is uh, is not without <laughs> yes, there's, there's not a, not without um, a, a knowing nod and a wink to um, the Carnarvons. Not that their house was falling down uh, or indeed had a leaky roof, but it certainly helped. Uh, I think our presence has helped uh, place that uh, famous silhouette of oh, the castle. Yes. Uh, as a brand around the world now and um, their visitor numbers have rocketed and will stay up for a, a while to come I think. So the film folk did good. In the so the film folk did good certainly in that regard and um, I'm sure it saved uh, it will have saved uh, Dan from the look on Lady Mary's face when she looks at the size of the check that they're going to receive I think get, their roof is going to be all right yeah. So when you guys are all there for like a wedding scene or maybe even, you know, Dame Maggie's there, Imelda, Michelle, Hugh, um, and you're all dressed up and, and, and then between takes, who's the first one to crack the joke? Uh, I'd say Alan Leach as Mr. Branson. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah? Uh, yes, he's uh, the Irish Blarney. Uh, uh, you know, he's, well, we all, you know, we all, we all get on. I mean, say, say the wedding scene, which is no big spoiler because it's a, uh, like most, you know, trailers these days, the entire plot is in the um, in the trailer, which seems a shame to me. But there we are. Um, well, the, the <laughs> film opens with a wedding, which is uh, yes. Tom Branson's wedding to Lucy, and uh, so that was three days. We shot that in in Suffolk, and um, this beautiful uh, uh, this little hamlet, which had a, a beautiful house and a church, all within the same sort of you know precinct, as it were. Um, and uh, we were, you know, we had to. As always, we were lucky with the with the rain gods. I mean, throughout the shooting of Downton, I was talking to one of our producers the other day. You know, whenever it mattered, we got the weather we needed, which was so lucky. I can remember in, in the first season and the, the because obviously these big set piece scenes take not just one day, they take you know two or three. And so the, the, the party, the, the garden party at the end of the very first season when war is announced, um, you know, we were blessed with beautiful weather for those three days, consistent weather for those three days. The cricket match in season three, it poured with rain. They had to move it, I think, once or twice through the schedule. But when we did get there, it poured with rain. They had to get a, a, a special machine from the local cricket club to sort of sweep the, sweep the uh, water off the pitch. And it stopped raining um, just as we were about to start shooting. It took three days to shoot. And at five to seven on the last day, it started raining. So we were, you know, again, there was a window there. And equally for the wedding sequence um, in, in, the, in the second movie, uh, it did, uh, there was a pretty heavy downpour where we had to sort of rejig some shooting. Um, but uh, we spent quite a lot of time under canvas uh, over those three days, um, just chewing the fat. And yeah, um, uh, Alan, Alan's the go-to storyteller. And you have a practical joker? Uh, not too well. I suppose Alan and I get up to a few tricks when we when we do scenes together. But um, no, no, we're we're fairly respectful of each other. But that would be giving away secrets. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've always found very fascinating, you know, the work of a historical cultural consultants on films. I know you worked with quite a few. What are some of the things, particularly on this film, that you really learned? 
Well, Alistair Bruce, who we call the Oracle, um, because uh, he's been our historical advisor throughout, and um, he's been of huge value to us as the cast. Uh, I think he's been the bane of the props department's life because you know he will be very particular about knives, forks, spoons, you know what goes where, because he he works in, in the um, uh, very much in the royal household or has done, and uh, he he says basically that when it comes to the next coronation, he he sort of is part of the team that decides where everybody sits. So he's very much about etiquette, high hierarchy, structure, and so at the beginning of each season during the TV show, he used to uh, give us a sort of social historical perspective of where we where Britain was in. 1914, 1916, 1922, whatever. Uh, and so again, for, for, for 1928, for this movie, he was extremely helpful in terms of uh, just, just the look of, of the way that people carry themselves. I mean, you know, famously in, in the very first season, I, I, we had to reshoot a scene because my, my, I slip, my hands slip into my trouser pockets. Uh, and uh, from then on, I had a, in my white tie and tails, I, uh, I had a suit made with no pockets, so I didn't fall into that oh, trap. Smart. Now, of course, you know, who knows? But of course, yeah. people put their hands in their pockets, but we just decided, it was decided that no one would cross their legs in this show, and, um, and no one would put their hands in their pockets, unless they were, you know, unless it was a particular character. And so things like that just give the, give the show a certain style, a certain look. Is there any interesting etiquette that you've learned through the years that you've brought home to the, to the Bonneville house? Yeah. Well, no. One, one that always intrigued me, actually, which I'd, I'd never thought of, was that nobody ever, if you noticed, that um, the butlers and the, and the servants, they never knock. They just melt into a room. Because otherwise, the, you know, the family would spend the entire day saying, come in, come in. I said, come in. And um, so that's interesting, which is, again, is why there's, there's always been this sense that the, the servants know far more about what's happening in the upstairs world. Than I don't think my teenagers would appreciate me melting in. Well, I, yes, exactly. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. So, no, I haven't, I haven't taken that one. I don't, uh, mind you, yeah, I don't, wouldn't expect my son to knock if I was. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the idea of melting into rooms, I think, is, is quite an interesting one. You mentioned the pandemic. I, I understand that you volunteered for the vaccine effort mm -hmm. during the pandemic. Um, I was wondering um, how people reacted to seeing you there, the national treasure that you've become. With yeah. uh, well, in, in, on the whole, people didn't recognize me because I was wearing a mask. So that was quite good. <laughs> no, it was, uh, I, I feel very passionately about the, I felt very passionately about the uh, vaccination program. And um you know, wanted to do my bit. Uh, I, I faint at the sight of a needle. So I was just outside with a clipboard being bossy, you know, stand over there, you know, get in line, six feet apart, all that. You've called Lord Grantham um, slowly progressive, which I thought was a very interesting and good way of putting him. Do you think he would have done something like this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there was a there was a storyline we will get that Julian Fellows explored about um, in 1926, there was a possible storyline that was going to be about um, the general strike and that Robert was going to drive a bus. Um, <clears throat> so I think he'd be, uh, uh, yeah, as, as you say, slowly progressive. And I think I've, I've also called him, you know, conservative by birth and liberal by nature um, in that he is, uh, you know, he, 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 even though he it does take Lady Mary to drag him kicking and screaming sometimes into, into uh, the sense of modernity, uh, he does accept um, you know, more contemporary views than perhaps some of his uh, colleagues like uh, Fellows has said he would have been a Brexiteer and I'm not sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Uh, yes, I know he said that. I, I'm, I'm not so sure because I think he's, uh, I, I like to think of Robert as, as, as uh, a slightly more <laughs> open-minded than that. Um, I don't think he's a little Englander at all. 
What do you attribute the lasting power and love for this story that's gone on now for over a decade and I'm sure will continue? I think uh, I, I can only equate it to my own experience of reading that very first script when, before it was cast. And uh, I read very vivid characters who popped off the page. I could start seeing them, even though they were, you know, they, in my mind's eye, like when you read a novel, you start casting them in your head. And uh, they all had their individual voices, their individual journeys. The stories were intriguing. And when it came to the last page, I wanted to know what happened next. And I think that has translated to the big to the screen and then to the big screen. And Julian Fellows has a great imagination and a great ability to tell myriad stories all at once and to keep us hooked on um, who's doing what to whom and what, we, and what are they going to do next. And um, and, and it, you know, it looks fabulous. And and um, and the world does seem a. You know, Julian always says he, he, he writes from the default position that human beings try to be good. They try to do the right thing. They may do bad things. Mind you, in the current climate, you think, I don't believe that at all. But, um, <laughs> but uh, on the whole, human beings try to do the right thing. And we're all struggling around the world to try and do the right thing. And uh, this, these stories, I think, allow us to escape into that hope for, for an, you know, in this case, for you know, an hour and a half, two hours to um, enjoy a bit of fantasy that the world can be a better place. Mr. Bonwell, thank you so much for your time. I wish you so much luck with this movie and a really nice summer. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. All the best. Thank you very much to Hugh Bonneville. The movie is Downton Abbey, A New Era. And thank you so much for joining me. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. 